0: Hi folks, this podcast is on right realism and today we'll be looking at uh, the right realist explanation for the cause of crime and also how to prevent crime. So let's start off little history lesson. We're going to go back to the 1970s. Now in the 70s, in America and Britain, crime didn't explode but it rose dramatically. Um, All offences went up. Right realists um, were conservative thinkers who were pretty appalled at the response to crime. They said that past approaches on the current approaches being taken to crime were really ineffectual and too often crime was just brushed under the carpet with the explanation, oh, it's just the media whipping up concerns. But really, crime was increasing. And of course, the people who were hardest hit by crime were those who lived in high crime areas. And these were often the, the poorer members of our society. So right realists decided, well, hang on, we really need to do something practical about this to solve crime. And an important thing to note here, folks, is that they rejected the notion that poverty caused crime. They said, no, it does not. If it did, then surely every poor person would be out committing crime. And we know this isn't true. So thinkers such as um, James Wilson and Charles Murray decided... Okay, let's start putting some ideas together for how to practically solve um, the issue of crime. And when they were doing this, um, as their ideas were becoming more popular, by total coincidence, two right of centre politicians um, took charge of the United States and Great Britain, Ronald Reagan in the States and Margaret Thatcher in Britain. So, right realist policies then really came to the fore. So, what did right realists explain the causes of crime as being? Well, the basic cause of crime is threefold it's poor socialization, human nature, and opportunity. And we're just going to talk through each one of those because they do have uh, constituent elements. So, just on poor socialization, And this is a poor socialization of of functionalism that people have not internalized or accepted social norms. In other words, agents of socialization have not really done their job or something has gone wrong. So right realists viewed poor socialization as being primarily the product of um, poor parenting. And here they blamed non-nuclear families, and in particular, single-parent families. They did so because they came from a position where they argued that two, both parents, mother and father, had separate socialization roles. The mother being more nurturing, the father being more uh, applying discipline, and that a single parent would struggle to take on both roles. They also argued that if you only have one parent, then you have 50% of the time available to socialise the child. Thus, without socialisation, a child could go their own way and get engaged in deviant and criminal acts. As well as blaming parents, right realists also believe that liberal teachers Had some explaining to do as well. They believed that where liberal teachers allowed students to break rules, um, to do what they want without any repercussions, without any punishments, that these teachers were undermining any socialization efforts by telling, essentially telling the student, well, you can do whatever you like and there'll be no comebacks, there'll be no consequences. And the final measure of poor socialization that right realists uh, were concerned about was that of the welfare benefit system. They believed that by simply paying people money in the form of benefits uh, for not working, you encouraged laziness. You also encouraged recklessness, that people knew that they were going to be paid at the end of the month in the form of benefits, so we're going to have a roof kept over their house so they basically would do whatever they would like they could commit crime act in an antisocial manner it didn't matter so poor parenting particularly by non-nuclear families liberal teachers and welfare benefits explained the poor socialization element on top of poor socialization right realists believe that human nature was a factor that whilst human beings are capable of care, kindness, and compassion, fundamentally our nature is that we are selfish and we are greedy, that we will look out for ourselves first and foremost. We put ourselves to the fore, to the expense and exclusion of others. So this would mean that, yeah, we didn't really care about other people and this would leave us free to do whatever we wanted to including commit crime the final explanation for crime came in the form of opportunity now right realists when they were talking about opportunity they were really talking about rational choice theory because opportunity is just an opportunity you know you can see the crown jewels um, on the back of a truck, and you might want to grab the crown jewels. That's an opportunity to steal them, but if they you know, you've got lots of police nearby who are going to arrest you. Well, the opportunity is there, but you're going to get caught. So, what right realists are really talking about is uh, with opportunity is rational choice theory. If we break rational choice theory uh, down. It goes on the basis that as human beings, we are rational calculating creatures, that we weigh up the potential profit of our actions against the potential cost. And if at the end of that calculation there is a a positive reward, we're more likely to commit um, the act and commit the crime. Whereas if the costs outweighed, any profit then we wouldn't commit the act i suppose uh, uh, the example i always use for this is imagine that i had a wallet and i put the wallet down on uh, on the table in front of a class of say 20 30 students i said there's 150 pounds in there you would imagine nobody would go up and steal it because there would be so many witnesses there they're bound to get caught and punished and that would be using rational choice theory would say the costs far far outweigh any profit so no nobody's going to do it but what if one of those students was a drug addict and one who was going through the early stages of withdrawal which apparently is remarkably unpleasant they're not interested in you know being arrested in a day's time and possibly going to court and having public shame in weeks or months time all they're interested in is getting the hit to stop the withdrawal symptoms so for them the profit would outweigh the costs because they're concerned with the next couple of hours not the next couple of weeks so that's rational choice theory so that's the general explanation for the cause of crime there are other explanations being put forward under the banner of right realism the political scientist charles murray along with um uh, psychologist richard hernstein they write a very famous book called the bell curve and. From the research that Murray had undertaken in the findings, Murray proposed um, social underclass theory. That is that Murray believed that crime disproportionately was committed by members of a social underclass, and the social underclass were primarily in receipt of benefits. They uh, had many children. They engaged in all manner of antisocial and criminal acts simply because they did not care about anyone else. They were poorly socialized by their own parents and they existed on welfare benefits. So the reasons I've given previously for poor socialization and welfare benefits applies to Murray's theory. But Murray went one stage further and and drawing from the ideas of the Bell Curve, where and hernstein looked at thousands of IQ tests that had been undertaken, and IQ tests are still deemed to be the most effective way of measuring intelligence. Um, They found, or Murray found, that the social underclass had a genetic element in that intelligence is inherited. Now Murray argued that between 40 and 80 percent of intelligence is inherited from the parents. Other experts disagree and say it's more likely 40 to 60 percent but in any event there is a genetic link. Now this doesn't mean that if you have two low IQ parents that you will come out with a low IQ yourself but it does make it more likely. So there was a real genetic element to um, Murray's theory that the underclass would breed the next generation of underclass and so on and so forth. Okay, so now we've discussed the general theories of crime. We've discussed Charles Murray's social underclass theory and the third theory we can talk about in terms of why crime occurs was put forward by uh and wilson the broken windows theory arguably one of the most famous theories in sociology and criminology. now wilson and kenning looked at where you had a building that had a window broken and the window wasn't repaired within a week or a couple of weeks more windows would get broken. If you had graffiti sprayed on a wall and it wasn't cleaned, a couple of weeks after the first piece of graffiti occurred, more and more graffiti would be applied. And the pair thought, well, this is because you're sending a message that no one cares. And if no one cares, it means you can do whatever you like. Now, Wilson and Killing then applied this to. Crime. And they said, well, surely the same thing happens. If people engage in what they called incivilities, low level crime, minor acts of public disorder and social disorder, things like public gambling, public drinking, spitting, begging, uh, minor criminal damage, public urination, things of this nature, they felt that, well, if these things are tolerated, then you're sending a message that no one cares. You know, if the air has been allowed to decay and be run down, people doing whatever they like, then surely larger crimes will occur. And that was their theory. And their theory is important because it was actually acted upon. Uh, In the 1990s, New York, uh, the New York mayor and the police chief launched zero-tolerance policing. They targeted the high crime areas in the city, and police officers working in those boroughs and those areas of the city had any discretion removed from them. The police had more patrols, more officers were recruited, there was no discretion, which meant that any offence, no matter how minor, was enacted upon by the police. So they'd arrest people for comparatively minor offences for the most minor offences they would give them a citation which meant the person would have to appear in court and undoubtedly pay a fine and by focusing on these small crimes new york hoped that bigger crimes would go away or be reduced the outcome was that new york's crime rate fell at double the rate that crime fell across The united states and homicide offenses just dived they went off a cliff edge Um, they decreased by record levels so it seems an absolute success well there were some arguable drawbacks some explained that yeah but all you're doing by concentrating on these areas is you're pushing crime elsewhere Drug dealers aren't going to deal in these, you know, zero tolerance areas. They're just going to go somewhere where there isn't so much heat coming from the police. The statistics don't seem to support this, but it is an argument. There's also the impact on community relations. Now, these high crime areas did have a disproportionate number of black and ethnic minority people living there and it was these same black and ethnic minority people who were being targeted were being arrested at sort of record levels and this did result in very poor relations between the community and the police so this now neatly takes us into crime prevention right realists because they're saying look we don't think there's an awful lot you can do to address things like human nature you know people are going to be selfish and greedy how do we overcome that so they didn't seek to address you know to change people's behavior what they sought to do was to affect the area that people lived in and they did this in two two ways The first is called environmental environmental crime controls, and this is things like zero tolerance. This is where there are formal uh, control measures put in place. So things like zero tolerance policing, increased police patrols, things like uh, the use of antisocial behaviour orders and orders that prevent public drinking in certain areas of towns and and villages these were designed just to clamp down and stop people engaging in these low-level civilities the other method that right realists proposed and advocated for were situational crime prevention measures and these came under sort of five titles of Increasing the effort, increasing the risks, reducing rewards, reducing provocations, and removing excuses. And I'll briefly go through each one. Okay, in terms of increasing the effort, it's really just making it harder for people to commit crime. So, doing things um, such as making sure people are fitting decent door and window locks to their houses Uh, building taller walls things like bus shelters bus shelters are now made out of steel and perspex because it's much harder to break and the perspex allows you know people to uh to see in Uh, but it's so much harder to break and also to stop people hanging around, the benches have been removed and and steel poles have been put in place, which makes it uncomfortable for people to, to hang around and get into um, get into uh, criminal behaving uh, methods. So, boom, making it harder. Also, increasing the risks, improving surveillance CCTV, but also improving street lighting um making sure that when you're designing areas you're not providing um you know dark secluded areas where offenders can can wait to pounce out on their victims in terms of reducing uh rewards well doing things such as having say um private parking in all housing developments to stop on street parking, which are traditionally easier for thieves to break into, having things such as um, smart water, where if you attempt to steal something, um, it puts indelible ink on your hands. Reducing uh, or reducing provocations, well, things such as like if there's a jeweler's shop, making sure the jeweler removes. The goods from their windows. Don't let, you know, don't put temptation on offer. And finally, removing ex- excuses, having things, the obvious one that we all see is the large speed limit signs. So, speeding drivers can't say, I didn't know what the speed limit was, because there are 30 mile an hour uh, signs everywhere. So, these methods they didn't tackle any underlying behavioral motivations. What they sought to do was just to make it more difficult for offenders. And that, folks, is essentially what we need to know about right realism in terms of the causes of crime and how right realists believe that crime can be prevented. Any questions? Let me know.